0: Let's pray. From 1 Samuel 17, the words of David. Then David said to Goliath the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with spear and sword, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand." Father, this day uh, we have before us your word in Ezekiel and of the nations, and I pray, Father, that as we look at this, we would uh, learn, of course, things that we haven't seen or known, but that we would remember that your primary purpose in all of this, including these chapters of Ezekiel, is that everyone would know that you are God, that it is you who rule and reign over every nation and every person in every nation. And that's true today as well, Father. Would you be glorified in the unfolding of your word in this hour? And would you bless our time? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. So yes, uh, we are going to spend most of our time in Ezekiel 25 to 32, but uh, before we do that, uh, we're going to finish up Ezekiel uh, 24 because uh, we ended with me reading that text and running. And uh, several of you <laughs> uh, were gracious to say, we would love to hear a little bit more about uh, the end of that chapter. And so let's, let's finish up our work here in Ezekiel 24. Um, just to, to recap, and this is Ezekiel 24 starting in verse 15. It was the final sign that God had given Ezekiel to sort of live out uh, before the people, before the exiles, to, to give a, a, a sign of what was about to happen to Jerusalem. So Yahweh had told Ezekiel he was about to take away the delight of his eyes. And he was not to mourn profusely, uh, no wailing, weeping, or tears, uh, not to, and not to put on the signs of a mourner. So no dust, no ashes, no sackcloth. No, uh, going around barefoot and to not eat the casseroles from the food tidings uh, that, was going to, that would come from a, a, a church setting and, and, uh, to the mourner like, like we would do but to just live his normal life and in verse 18 then we learn that uh, uh, I spoke to the people uh, and then in the evening my wife died and I got up the next day and, and carried on And in verse 19, the exiles are rightly confused. And they say, will you not tell us what these things mean for us, that you are acting thus? And uh, so in, in verses 20 to 24, Ezekiel begins to explain what's happening. And he says that Yahweh is about to take from you your delight of your eyes. That is, the temple, the holy city... Uh, and her, some of her people, some of your own children who are still back in Jerusalem. And the exiles were to follow Ezekiel's example. Uh, and in, in, in fact, in verse 24, we see, thus shall Ezekiel be to you a sign, according to all that he has done, you shall do. And so the question would come, rightly so, why? Why, why, not, why not mourn? Why not be sad? Over what has happened, why this stif- stifling of grief? Um, is this prescriptive for everyone? Should we should we just suppress all grief when somebody that we love dies? Uh, of course not. It was prescriptive for the exiles by the Kabar Canal uh, because it's a command given to them. But it's but it's of course not something that's universal, and we don't have. A direct answer here, but we have some clues why this command was given, and we just need to read on in verses 25 to 27, so the end of Ezekiel 24, and I think that you'll see this. As for you, son of man, surely on the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes and their soul's desire, and also their sons and daughters, on that day a fugitive will come to you to report to you the news. On that day, your mouth will be opened to the fugitive and you shall speak and be no longer mute. So you will be assigned to them and they will know that I am the Lord. So this is maybe even more curious. What does that have to do with anything? Well, I believe that what we see here is that God is showing Ezekiel and showing the the exiles my wrath. On that day, my wrath will be completely poured out and there will be no further thing that you will need to fear. In fact, um, if you think back to Ezekiel 16, that chapter about the unfaithful bride, let me read verse 42 from Ezekiel 16. You're welcome to turn there if you'd like. Ezekiel 16:42 God says so I will satisfy my wrath on you and my jealousy shall depart from you I will be calm and will be no more angry So there is there is a sounding here of a change that at the fall of Jerusalem and the temple uh, there is there is the introduction of a new phase as it were of the relationship between uh, Yahweh and the people of Israel because, well, there's nothing more to destroy. The, the, his, what he had promised for centuries, and increasingly so as that day neared, had now completely happened. And um, so taken together, verses 15 to 24, the sign of Ezekiel's wife passing and the instructions given to Ezekiel to not mourn, and then verses 25 to 27, that on that day, remember back in chapter 3, uh, God told Ezekiel, you're going to be mute except for when I want you to speak. That uh, intermittent or transient muteness is going to be lifted here when that, when that fugitive comes from Jerusalem to give you the news that Jerusalem has fallen. On that day, I will open your mouth. So something is fundamentally changing um, at that time. Um, and so I think that that's what is happening here and the sign given uh, for the exiles at the Kabar Canal. Does that make sense? Not a rock solid thing, but, but why is this given? I think that that's the best explanation from the text. So with that, we're on to chapters 25 to 32 And speaking of the nations, the first thing that I want to draw to your attention as we just look over the the big landscape of this is how intentional this section is. Uh, We had, last week, 13 chapters uh, pointed directly at the heart of Israel and Jerusalem. And here we have these eight chapters, 25 to 32, pointed at the nations around. And it's so so intentional that... um, you know, we don't spend a ton of time thinking about structure, but you need to see this, that from chapters 25 to near the end of 28, there are 97 verses. Now, we know that verses and chapter numbers are not inspired, but there's, there's an amount of content there. Over six nations, there are seven little oracles there. And then from chapters 29 through 32, there are 97 verses pointed at Egypt, and right in the middle, right in the middle are three verses about the promise of restoring Israel. And so it's like there's this, this drive up the mountain to this pinnacle at the very end of chapter 28, these three verses talking about the restoration of, of Israel, through which you go through six nations, and then after which you, we have four chapters, again, another 97 verses on Egypt, and so just the structure of this is, is to draw our attention to the end of chapter 28 and what God is about to do. So even in the midst of this entire section on judgment of the nations, it's all within the context of what God, how God is working in his people Israel. Some other things that you'll, you wouldn't necessarily notice, but just fan through with me. Uh, starting in chapter 25. And, and you can even just look at the headings in your scripture. You see a prophecy against Ammon, then against Moab, then against Edom, then Philistia, chapter 26 against Tyre, and that goes on for three chapters through 27 through 28. Um, and then you see the last two verses of, uh, of chapter 28 Sorry, the last three verses, 24, 25, 26, are about God restoring and keeping secure his people. And then chapters 29, 30, 31, 32 is all Egypt and Pharaoh, and then we have a new direction come chapter 33. But in this, we have these, as I said before, seven oracles ahead of the middle of this passage. We have seven oracles against Egypt in the second half. And then, in the midst of it, we have seven date references that are given to us. There are seven, so the word of the Lord came to me. This is all very intentional, and God is seeking to get our attention through these, um, these, these tools and instruments within the text. And the single-minded purpose, and it was in what I prayed earlier, was so that they might know that I am the Lord that I am Yahweh, I am the God over all. And we've already seen that this is, it's thick as fleas in Ezekiel already, 70-some times in this book. But there are 18 of those statements just in these eight chapters, just over and over, just like a woodpecker going away that, that you can't come away from this book or, or even this section without seeing. This is God's point. Whether it's, whether it's Ammon, whether it's Philistia, whether it's Egypt, whether it's the house of Israel. The point is, you need to know that I am God. So if you're ready to check out for the next 45 minutes, you've got the main idea already. <laughs> no, matter, no matter what nation you're interested in here. Okay, so you have a table there before you. Uh, of, and we're in this next section of the gloating and vengeful neighbors and we'll, we're going to take a quick glance at uh, each of these, but that table can just help you see the structure of these oracles, uh, the nation, the section of the scripture that applies to them. And you'll see these statements, because you did this or because you are this, I will do something and then they will know. And you'll see it's uh, almost all, then they will know that I am the Lord. So let's walk through these. Um, in your map, before we start this, um, this is just like a big fish hook. So if you're standing in Jerusalem, you are just west of the top end of the Dead Sea. And over on the other side of the Dead Sea, there's Ammon. And then just to their right is Moab. And then to the east of you is Edom. And you come on around, and over there along the coastline of the Mediterranean, are the Philistines, and then way up the coast are Tyre and Sidon. And so this just makes a big... He, Ezekiel's just going to start, and he's just going to keep going clockwise around, uh, knocking off different nations and, uh, and giving oracles against them. And then finally, he's going to turn back to Egypt, back here to the southwest. So just a brief glance at these. <clears throat> Ammon. Uh, Together with Moab, Ammon are distant relatives of the Israelites. How did that come to be? Sorry? Lot, Lot, that's right. Right. Um, Through relationships with his daughters, we have the people of Ammon, and we have the people of Moab. Right, so that's back to Genesis 19. They had been no friend of Israel during Joshua's day or in the time of the judges, um, and more recently had been aligned with Nebuchadnezzar, and we're expressing malicious delight to see what was befalling Israel. Um, in fact, look at verses 3 and 4 of Ezekiel 25. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, aha, over my sanctuary when it was profaned and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate and over the house of Judah when they went into exile. Therefore, behold, I am handing you over to the people of the east for a possession. They shall set their encampments among you and make their dwellings in your midst. They shall eat your fruit. They shall drink your milk. So in short, Ammon is going to suffer the same fate in herself that she is rejoicing in uh, over Jerusalem. Uh, Verses 6 and 7 almost give us a second mini-oracle over Ammon because you see the same structure there again. Because you have clapped your hands, stamped your feet, and rejoiced with all the malice within your soul against the land of Israel. Therefore, I have stretched out my hand against you and will hand you over as plunder to the nations. Um, This particular oracle, just of note, is the only one that's in second person. You know, you, you, Ammon, uh, you will receive this because you have done this. The rest of these all come to us in third person. So that's Ammon, Moab, just south of Ammon, similar history, most famous Moabite in the Bible. Ruth, thank you. All right, good. They have, though now today, scorn uh, for Israel, saying that that, uh, they're nothing special. Do I have something queued up for that? Yes. Verses 8 and 9. Thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir, Seir is just another word for Edom. So we'll get to Edom in just a second. Uh, because Moab and Seir said, Behold, the house of Judah is, is like all the other nations. Therefore, I will lay open the flank of Moab from the cities, from its cities on its frontier, the glory of the country with three hard-to-pronounce city names. Um, So uh, God is about to open Moab like a can of sardines. Do cans of sardines still open like they did 30 years ago? Yes, thank you, Dan. All right. (laughs) I knew my keto friend would know this. All right. Um, And um, about five years after the fall of Jerusalem, uh, indeed, Nebuchadnezzar overran uh, all of Ammon and Moab in much the same way. On to Edom, another uh, tribe or nation that are ancient relatives of the Israelites. How's that? Esau. Did I hear Esau? That's what I expected to hear. All right, good. Yeah, so, so Esau back to Gen, uh, Genesis uh, 25 uh, is the connection, um, and this is one of the nations that most recently uh, had, had not uh, allowed... Israel to come through their land on the king's highway as they came up out of the wilderness and came to the plains of Moab ready to launch into the promised land. Um, and as regular enemies of Israel, you might be surprised that Edom has more oracles against her in the Bible than any other nation, more than the Philistines, more than the Egyptians. Uh, they're, just, it's, they're just littered throughout uh, the Old Testament. Um, And if you'd like that list, uh, I didn't put it in there. I can get that to you if if you're interested to see that. But right now, what Edom is doing, they are fans sitting on the sideline cheering on Babylon. Go, make make her bear, tear it down to the foundations. In fact, um, from really one of the strongest uh, imprecations in the psalm, Psalm 137, verse 7. The psalmist gives us, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. This was the attitude of the Edomites as they watched Babylon um, tear apart uh, the nation of Israel. And verse 13 gives us her own um, judgment. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom, and cut off from it man and beast, and I will make it desolate from Teman even to Dedan. So that is like from head to toe, from Dan to Beersheba, right? from, from Amarillo to Brownsville. Right? The whole land will, will go away. They shall fall by the sword. Uh, verse 14, they shall know my vengeance. Um, and just as a side note, uh, you may come across in New Testament the word Idumean, right? So the Edomites became known later as the Idumeans. And who do we know who's an Idumean? from the, Where? Where'd I heard that? Herod. Are you answering all these? <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> right, Herod, Herod the Great, uh, uh, Idumean. Uh, so um, last thing before we leave these three peoples, and if you were here for Joe Oliver's, funeral a few weeks back. You heard this text from 2 Chronicles 20. Let me read verses 10 to 12. You don't need to turn there, but 2 Chronicles 20, jot it down, verses 10 to 12. This is Jehoshaphat praying to God, and he says, "...and now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, They reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And these are the same peoples from from about 300 years before. Jehoshaphat was one of the early uh, divided kingdom uh, kings in the southern kingdom, but sort of grouping these three peoples together of Ammon, Moab, and Edom. All right, we're on to uh, Philistia, verses 15 to 17. Look at verse 15. This, this people is, is really unrelated to the patriarchs. They were considered part of the Sea Peoples, uh, most famous Philistine. Goliath, right, thank you very much, yes. And uh, they were also very active during the years of the judges uh, and Samson's uh, work. But Ezekiel 25, 15, Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines acted revengefully and took vengeance with malice of soul to destroy in never-ending enmity. So he's just piling up. We see the heart of the Philistines, the hatred that they have for For Israel, Yahweh promises his own vengeance, his own wrath against this people. Which brings us then to chapter 26 and Tyre, uh, where we have in the first six verses a little oracle that is like unto what we've already seen, and then it just keeps going on for two more chapters, uh, three more chapters. So Tyre, way up the Mediterranean coast, uh, a center of trade. If it didn't have a dollar sign attached to it and you were a Tyrian, you probably didn't care much about it uh, because they were, they were really just about the business of business. That's what they did. Um, they were uh, friendlies during the United Kingdom, during the time of David and Solomon, but uh, with King Hiram of Tyre. Uh, but, but there was a falling out and now you see, I'll call it competition. You, you listen to verse 2. 26 verse 2 Tyre said concerning Jerusalem aha the gate of the peoples is broken it's swung open to me i shall be replenished now that she is laid waste do you do you see it do you hear that that tyre says jerusalem has become a competition to me of some sorts for trade people going, traveling from the south to the north, and, and I'm up here on the coast, and I'm mainly getting traffic, people going from east to the west. Jerusalem's broken down, more business for us. This is their, their mindset. And Yahweh will bring, in verses 3 and 4, many nations against her like waves of the sea. She shall be scraped bare, like a place to spread a net to dry in the sun. And in each of these cases... Um, I just want to, to retrace our steps. In each of these cases against all of these nations, God is continuing to have one single steadfast purpose in his judgments, that they would know that I am the Lord, that I am sovereign over them. Okay. Uh, at the, in the end of uh, chapter 28, there's a short oracle over Sidon, but we're not going to get to them right now because we have some more tire work to get through Um, and uh, it's fascinating to see Uh, so chapter 20 the rest of chapter 26 is all continuing to announce God's judgment over Tyre chapter 27 a lamentation over Tyre what she has been what she will become and then it gets personal in chapter 28 against the king of Tyre in the same fashion announcement of judgment and then a lamentation over what's about to happen but before we get to those i just want you to to enjoy the precision of god's prophecy over tire if you don't know this story you'll enjoy it and, and it'll give you a greater appreciation of of god's prophecy and how he fulfills these things with outstanding uh accuracy so in chapter 26 I want you to look at verse 12. They will plunder your riches, loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls, destroy your pleasant houses. Your stones and timber and soil they will cast into the midst of the waters. Well, now the first part of that, if you're thinking about war, that all makes sense. You're going to plunder goods. You're going to knock down doors and houses. That makes perfect sense. Why in the world, in a war, would you take the time to take the whole city and go throw it into the water? Yeah, that just sounds like a waste of energy. So, there's a reason. John's chuckling because he knows exactly what this reason is. So, here's the story. Nebuchadnezzar did come and besiege Tyre. Um, not long after Jerusalem fell. Took him forever in terms of uh, siege hours or siege years. Ten 12 years, and and did defeat um, one of the cities of Tyre, because there are two. There is coastal Tyre, which was along the coastline, along the mainland, as it were, and then there was insular, or island Tyre, about a third of a mile off uh, into the Mediterranean. That's about the distance from here to uh, Interstate 30 from here, just to give you an idea of These two—it's part of why it took him so long. Uh, If you're the king of Babylon, you don't have a navy. Okay, so you come against coastal Tyre, and you can't stop the inflow of of new soldiers and materials coming off of the co or from the island to replenish the city. So it took him quite a while, and uh, so he left. They had defeated Tyre, old Tyre, the coastal Tyre. Fast forward 250 years, and Alexander the Great shows up. And at that time, there is no old Tyre anymore. It's just rubble. He comes down the coast. He's defeating city after city. He gets down there. Um, if you're Alexander the Great, you don't have a navy either. And, and out there, a third of the mile, uh, out in the Mediterranean are the Tyrians. You know, going, to nah. You can't get us. He sends out some ambassadors. They try to sort something out. They kill his diplomats, throw them off of the wall uh, from the, the new Tyre into the water. And uh, that, that sort of uh, broke down communications between the armies. It's a bad, bad uh, diplomatic move. And guess what Alexander's army did? They took the city, old tyre city, and scraped it bare and dumped it into the Mediterranean and dumped it into the Mediterranean and dumped it and dumped it and made a causeway all the way out, a third of a mile, to New Tyre. And they rolled out siege engines and catapults and just started tearing the city apart and eventually conquered New Tyre and laid it bare. You've got a little map there. The coastline of Tyre didn't used to look like that. Used to just that would, it used to be that thing on the left side used to be an island, used to be insular tire, now it's peninsular tire, uh, because Alexander the Great built this. And and so, if you're reading Ezekiel 26, why in the world would an army drag a city's contents and rubble and throw it into the the sea? That's exactly why. It took 250 years for that to be fulfilled, but it was fulfilled with amazing accuracy. Okay. All right. So let's move on in, in 26. Verses 15 to, to 21 talks about the impact of Tyre's fall. Verses 17 and 18. I'm in, I'm in Ezekiel 26. And they, that is the princes of the sea, will raise a lamentation over you and say to you, How you have perished, you who were inhabited from the seas. O city renowned, who was mighty on the sea. She and her inhabitants imposed their terror on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall, and the coastlands that are on the sea are dismayed at your passing. There's a description that it's like a death when this city falls. Chapter 27, we go on and... um, The city of Tyre is described as this exquisite sailing vessel. Let me start in in, uh, 27 and you'll see this. The word of the Lord came to me. Now you, son of man, raise a lamentation over Tyre and say to Tyre, who dwells at the entrances to the sea, merchants of the peoples to many coastlands, thus says the Lord God, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the hearts of the sea. Your builders made perfect your beauty. They made all your planks of fir trees from Sinir. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make a mast for you. And on and on and on. It describes the oars and, the, and the, the, the deck and on and on uh, of, of being made of the best of everything, which would be exactly as Tyre would be. And the list goes on. In verses 10 through 28, uh, I would encourage you to take a look at that later, of all the places where people had traded things with Tyre. Uh, it's just a huge list of, of uh, cities and nations and items, precious metals, ivory, ebony, gems, horses, honey, oil, balm, wine, wool, iron, perfumes, spices, garments, carpet, and it goes on and on and on. And then finally in verses 25 to 36, we find out what will happen to this great sailing vessel with all of this international commerce aboard her. So verse 25, the second half of it, so you were filled and heavily laden in the heart of the seas. Your rowers have brought you out into the high seas and the east wind has wrecked you into the, into the heart of the sea. The east wind is the army from the east, the army of Babylon. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, will have come and wrecked her. Okay, that is the summary or just the big view of chapter 27. Chapter 28 now points personally at the uh, prince or king of Tyre. He's referred to as the prince in verse 1, uh, the king in verse 12, but we think that this is the same person. Verses 1 and 2 of, of chapter 28. The word of the Lord came to me Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is proud, and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. So we see immediately the situation that the king of Tyre uh, is in. He is a proud, uh, arrogant man. He's blaspheming as though he were God. Uh, Yahweh becomes sarcastic with him in verses 3 to 5. You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. So God is mocking uh, the self-declared wisdom and strength of the king of Tyre. Verse 6, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations. They shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. And so, The the call is now that many nations will destroy this this city of Tyre. In verses 11 to 19, the lamentation is taken up again uh, against the king of Tyre. Let me read verses 11 and 12. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. We'll pause there. Um, And before we go further, I just want to point out that this is a text that gets strange to us as we think about it describing a man. Uh, What you'll hear here is strange to us if it's just describing a man. Uh, you will see something similar. Make a note, Isaiah 14. You'll want to go and read Isaiah 14 where the king of Babylon is described using similar language that is, is strong and powerful. Um, and one note here in... Sorry, we need, to, we need to move on to verse 13. Then I'll get to my note. So let's, let's go on. Verse 13. You were in Eden... The garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. On and on and on, all these precious stones. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engraving. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. You walked. I don't know everything about the king of Tyre, but... I doubt that he literally was in the Garden of Eden. Uh, you know, this, this sounds very creation day one ish, um, and uh, I don't think that he was actually a guardian cherub. I don't think I think he was a real man, a real king of Tyre, a real man. Uh, but a note here on verse 14: If you don't have the ESV, you probably some, see something different than an anointed guardian cherub. You probably see the definite article, and that's that's proper. Uh, That's a better rendering there. It would be better to say, you were the anointed cherub to cover uh, in this place uh, when I placed you on the holy mountain of God. And then verse 15 and 16, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So how do we understand this, this supernatural language? Um, it, is, it has been proposed, and I think I agree with this, that, that it's the... the Lamentation is over the king of Tyre, but it's really speaking to the power that was behind the king of Tyre, that is Satan himself. So there's this language of, of even talking about the very beginning of sin uh, in Satan uh, as the power behind the king of Tyre, but, it, but it's extraordinary language that we see here that's, that's it's certainly not uh, normal. Okay, takeaways here from from this section of uh, chapter 28. Uh, We we always want to tread carefully and remember what we see contextually. Uh, God is using Ezekiel to prophesy against these nations that surround Israel and Judah, reminding them all that he is Lord, sovereign over us all. But he's also showing us perhaps uh, the The universal origin, origin of sin, um, is that his primary purpose? No, that's not his primary purpose uh, here, but is it is it also something where the curtain is sort of pulled back and we see that behind a wicked nation are the the powers and principalities of the of the air, of the spirit of the the age. Okay, all right, let's get to the end of this chapter, uh, 28, again, we have a prophecy against Sidon. It uh, doesn't really match the, the rest of these, but you might remember this is the first section that I read when we started verse one or week one. And the reason is because what we see in verses 20 to 23 are God's purposes against Sidon, and then verses 24 to 26, his purposes in Israel. So let me read that, that whole section. And I just want you to to think about what is God trying to communicate, what's his main purpose. Uh, You'll see it over and over here. Verse 20. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face towards Sidon and prophesy against her. And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst, and they shall know that I am the Lord. When I execute judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her, For I will send pestilence into her and blood into her streets, and the slain shall fall in her midst by the sword that is against her on every side. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So twice just in those three verses, they will know that I am the Lord. Now verse 24. And for the house of Israel, there shall be no more a briar to prick or a thorn to hurt them among all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they shall dwell in their land that I gave to my servant Jacob. And they shall dwell securely in it, and they shall build houses and plant vineyards. They shall dwell securely when I execute judgments upon all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. So the, the, the point remains here that God in judgments executed, in disease and in sword against Sidon, uh, in the removal of all enemies, and in the return of God's people to their land and in their prosperity and in their security, God has the same purpose in every step along the way. And that is that the people would know that He is the Lord. And His purpose remains the same for you and for me today. Whether you're in weal or woe, uh, whether you are sick or feel great, uh, whether you're prosperous or in poverty, uh, the Lord's purpose in your life Remains the very same that you would know that he is the Lord. Okay, we have just a few moments here to get through the second half of this <laughs> and talk about Egypt, but it's going to be brief. There are, as I said before, there are seven um, oracles here. Um, why so much? Why four chapters about Egypt? Well, Egypt was foundational in the preservation of Israel, right? Joseph was there, brought the people of Israel, preserved the line of the Messiah. They were also foundational in terms of the rescue of that people as Moses led them back out. And they were enemies um, throughout. So we have a lot. Uh, so yeah, we will, uh, we will touch and go uh, through these seven. The first one is chapter 29, really the first Half of the chapter, two-thirds of it, verses 1 to 16. Uh, these all take place about the same time as Jerusalem is being destroyed. Uh, so the, the call in verses 1, and 2, 1 to 2, it's against Pharaoh. Verse 3, uh, it is a judgment against his pride. Uh, the end of verse 3, behold, I'm against you. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams that says, My Nile is my own. I made it for myself. And so the call is against the pride of him. And you'll see that God is going to hook that great dragon from the river and drag him out and throw him out into the wilderness. You'll see that in verse 5. And a temporary removal from the land for 40 years is prophesied in verse 11 which did take place uh, later on after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed that land. The second uh, oracle is the rest of chapter 29. Let me read verses 18 to 20. Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made his army labor hard against Tyre. Every head was made bald and every shoulder was rubbed bare, yet neither he nor his army got anything from Tyre to pay for the labor that he had performed against her. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall carry off its wealth and despoil it and plunder it, and it shall be wages for his army. Uh, so we'll stop there. And so the, the the call here is that God is saying, You know what? My instrument against Jerusalem and against Tyre and against uh, Ammon and Moab and Edom, he worked so hard at Tyre and got so little reward, I'm going to reward uh, the king of Babylon by giving him Egypt because he's my instrument. Even though he's a wicked king, guess what, Pharaoh? Uh, you will be the spoils for the king of Babylon that they may know that I am the Lord. Chapter 30, verses 1 to 19 is the next Um, Oracle speaking of the day of Yahweh in verse 3. For the day is near, the day of the Lord. The day of Yahweh is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. So uh, Egypt is going to fall. Uh, Her mercenaries are going to fall, verse 5. Her allies are going to fall, verse 6. She'll be destroyed from head to toe. You see in uh, verses 13 to 18, A list of different cities throughout Egypt. And again, it's one of these head to toe from north to south. I'm going to destroy this entire land, the entire region. And the purpose, verse 19, Thus I will execute judgments on Egypt, then they will know that I am the Lord. The rest of chapter 30 is our fourth uh, oracle against Egypt with a picture figuratively of God breaking the arms of Pharaoh. uh, and a man who is mortally wounded, those arms being broken by the strong arm of the king of Babylon. The purpose again, verse 26. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations, disperse them throughout the countries. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Chapter 31, the verse, first 18 verses, is our fifth oracle against uh, Egypt. Uh, a rhetorical question is asked in verse 2. Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, Whom are you like in your greatness? And the picture is given of this great uh, cedar of Lebanon in verse, in verse 3. This huge tree that, that, that was a home for the birds and shade for all the animals. And, it was, and everyone adored this tree. Um, yet in its pride, in verse 10, it was cast down because of its pride, and the the answer to the rhetorical question is given in verse 18. Back to Egypt. Whom are you thus like in glory and in greatness among the trees of Eden? You shall be brought down with the trees of Eden. To the world below you shall lie among the uncircumcised with those who are slain by the sword. And here's the answer to the question. This is Pharaoh. And all his multitudes, declares the Lord God. The sixth oracle against Egypt is the first half of chapter 32. Speaking of uh, Pharaoh as this great dragon who is caught, uh, tossed out, pulled out of his river, again verses 3 and 4, and cast on the ground to become a carcass for birds and beasts to feast on. And his purpose in all of this, God's purpose... Verse 15, when I make the land of Egypt desolate, and when the land is desolate of all that fills it, when I strike down all who dwell in it, then they will know that I am the Lord. And finally, the second half of Ezekiel 32 is the seventh oracle against Egypt, which describes her descent figuratively, into Sheol as a, as a person dying so this nation will descend into Sheol as she is destroyed. There are, and she'll be in good company, as it were. Look at verses uh, 24 and 25 as an example, as the, the description is, you're going to go to this place, to go to Sheol, the place of the dead. Elam, verse 24, Elam is there, that's uh, southern Iran today. Uh, Elam is there, and all her multitude around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword who went down uncircumcised into the world below, who spread their terror in the land of the living. And they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. They have made her a bed among the slain with all her multitude, her graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword for terror of them was spread in the land of the living and they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit they are placed among the slain and so you see this is repeated through this section the same sort of thing verses 22 and 23 Assyria is there verses 24 and 25 Elam is there verses 26 through 28 Meshech, Tubal new names these are these are up in Asia Minor We'll come back to Meshach and Tubal later, uh, not today, but in, a, in a, another week. Edom is there, verse 29. The princes of the north and the Sidonians, verse 30, are there. And so the, that God is just checking off one by one. All of these wicked nations will go down to Sheol, to the place of the dead, that they may know that I am the Lord. So some takeaways from, from this section is that Yahweh couldn't be more clear uh, to Pharaoh to say, Pharaoh, I am God and you are not. Hiram, king of Tyre, I am God and you are not. Um, And more emphatically, Yahweh is saying to us that he is not only king, but he is king of the kings. By the way, Mr. King, I'm your king. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. Um, Whether it's Tyre, Ammon, Egypt, Moab, it matters not. Uh, And all of this within the context of God preparing to restore, to rescue His people and to bring them out of these nations. And the same thing would be true of us that they, or that we, would know that He is the Lord. So, as we wrap up today, I just want to stop and just give us again the big picture of where we've been in Ezekiel, because we've been chugging along pretty quickly through this. In our first week, we had chapters 1 to 3, which was Ezekiel's call and commission, and then in verses, or sorry, chapters 4 through 11, uh, two weeks ago, we saw all of the portrayals of Jerusalem's fall that, that Ezekiel was called to depict in his life. Remember the making the, the little the clay city and the, the iron griddle and, and laying on his side and on and on and eating his Ezekiel bread. Uh, and, and he had the first vision of the temple. And chapters 12 through 24 last week were the oracles against Israel. And today we have these oracles against the nations. And yet in E4M we have said that the theme of Ezekiel is restoration. I heard that. <laughs> yeah. We haven't had much restoration yet. <laughs> and we've been through two-thirds of the book. And we will have a restoration. So come on back. This is a, this is a pivot point in the book of Ezekiel. It has been judgment up to this point, And we will have a new tone from Yahweh uh, through the remainder of this. Uh, and the future consolation of Israel that we'll have in, in the, the rest of this. So, so keep coming back, keep reading the last uh, 16, 17 chapters of, of Ezekiel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, that every, every bit of it uh, is given to us from you and is for our teaching, for our correction, our reproof, that we might be complete, including these chapters from Ezekiel. Father, uh, thank you for the reminder over and over and over and over again that you are supreme sovereign over this world and everything in it. We thank you that this is true. We can trust you and your character in all situations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.